0: Hello and welcome to the Global Supply Chain Week. I'm Lorianne LaRocco, I'm Senior Editor of Guests at CNBC, as well as a maritime and trade columnist for American Shipper. And for those who know me, um, I am all about containers don't lie. And as a journalist, I'm always looking for the best in the business to help me pursue uh, going through those bills of lading and peeling away uh, what the data and what the containers uh, hold inside. And that person for me is William George. He is analyst um, over at the trade data uh, company, Import Genius. Uh, hi, William, and uh, thanks for joining me today. Hi,
1: thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here.
0: That's great. So, uh, so what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to be opening up a series of charts, and I want you to get into the mind, if you will, of a trade journalist like myself in terms of what are the trends uh, that I'm looking for and how the bills of lading and customs uh, tell the story. Um, I'm a firm believer that trade is a forward-looking indicator in terms of the health of a company, in terms of infrastructure, how things are going, as well as uh, the health of of a country. Uh, Because let's face it, every country has consumers like you or I, and uh, based on those containers, it can give us insight, if you will, into uh, the flow of trade. So the first uh, chart uh, that William uh, put together, and we can uh, dive into it now, it's how uh, the flow of the containers uh, are a forward-looking indicator. And it shows us really in terms of the share, if you will, of um, what I chose here, Easter imports, because that's what we're looking at right now. Uh, I recently did a story showing, thanks to uh, the data provided by William, that um, we know the congestion's bad, just how bad? Well, Christmas items are still coming in. And uh, as of we see right here, uh, Easter imports are uh, still rolling in as well. Uh, William, what can you tell us in terms of how you went through this and what kind of trends did you see?
1: So we, uh, we went through and we created various search terms to locate what we tagged as Easter-related imports. We did the same thing for Christmas. We weren't trying to get 100% of Easter. We were trying to get a very representative sample. And this is something that you then took and you, you backed up by interviewing, uh, you know, other, other people in the industry.
0: Exactly. So what we see here is, and it's no surprise that uh, Los Angeles, California, is the number one destination, of course, for all items. And that's because they're originating from China. Um, in terms of looking at the volumes and things like that, um, what can you tell us uh, in terms of the flow of trade as it relates to the ports, William?
1: So we took these these records and we broke them down. And it's particularly interesting when you look at them, only looking at our imports coming from China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. When we look at those, you can see that 68% of those imports are headed to ports on the US West Coast. And I mean that's to be expected. Some of it's going through to Newark, you can see it in the charts. But if you look at them even more closely, you'll see that four-fifths of those West Coast shipments are headed to either Long Beach or Los Angeles. And so That's fine on a normal year, but with the congestion that we're seeing, it's just an absolute recipe for delay.
0: Exactly. And this is where trade data like this, I believe, is so important for logistics managers. Because when you see this data, it really gives you some good insight into what is coming in and the volumes. Uh, And from uh, putting on like your imaginary logistics manager hat, William, what can you tell us in terms of how this data can be useful in terms of logistics management?
1: So especially with our services, we provide at the enterprise level an API. And so you can build our data, which is up-to-date as of previous day, right into your own dashboards. So instead of relying on port updates or on, you know, census updates, which could be months late, you can know day-to-day when surges are coming and how key ports you care about are being impacted.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, I, I also love the Port Optimizer from the Port of Los Angeles where, you know, they aggregate as much as they can within a couple of weeks so you can see, How many ships are coming in? How many TEUs? What's going to be running by rail? What's going to be going by truck? Um, This is really up-to-the-minute news you can use, which I think is what a lot of people don't realize, right? You take it for granted. Um, You know the 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 amount of shifts and what you can see, I think, is is pretty important. Um, You know, going to the next slide, um, none of us have to. You know, all of us agree here that the pandemic has transformed the way that everybody. Uh, shops. Um, I don't know about you, but I was an I was an Amazon Prime subscriber years before because I live in the middle of nowhere, so um, I don't have a mall or a big store, you know, to you know go go to. So when you saw the Amazon effect, now more than ever, you're seeing the e-commerce impact of the amount of containers coming in. Uh, we've got this fantastic chart here showing the Amazon import volume. Now. When it comes to looking at anything as it relates to all things retail, I always go back to uh, 2017, 2018 um, because you have the trade war. Now with this, I know we can't go back to 2017 versus 2018 because as we all know, um, Amazon has an NVOCC and uh, it, was, it was actually provided more clarity for you. Correct, William, to, to use more of the 2018 model?
1: Oh, very much. Uh, if, if we can start with 2018, we have much higher confidence in that data.
0: Exactly. So let us go right to it. And 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 as you can see, folks, when you're looking at the data, it's the it, what I love about the trade war. It shows you that knee jerk reaction in terms of what we all know, front loading. And when you look at uh, the Octo- the October uh, the October line where you have the asterisks, um, that is a key indicator of when we had an, an, um, an anticipated tariff that was coming around the bend. So uh, let's go through this right now. Uh, William, what, what, what kind of fun things did you find? What kind of trends?
1: Well, I really like the overall picture provided by the chart. As you were saying, you can see the front-loaded beginning in 2018. You've got the asterisk right there. And then immediately, you can see how much of an impact the tariffs really had on Amazon's business. You can see that import volume just drop. And there's a lull that continues throughout 2019, and then it begins to ramp up again. And then right as it's ramping up again, unfortunately, you can see it run smack into the coronavirus pandemic. And naturally, um, as Chinese factories were impacted by that, just the sheer amount of product that could be shipped, was just, it was just not there. But as it, as it begins to come back, uh, you see this surge in the summer. It's a very promising surge. However, uh, it begins to trickle down, and I think that's something that you've been very focused
0: on exactly, and this is what we've been hitting home on. It's terms about the impact of congestion um, at at the ports uh, across now, and 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 just so everyone knows here, the uh, the the data that we're looking at. These are all U.S. ports. It's not just Long Beach and L.A. Um, the beauty of uh, of of the way that I do my reporting, the way that I utilize or. Sometimes maybe abuse William because I'm always coming up with more <laughs> and more, more things for him to uh, drill down on. But when it comes to this, I like this to get, call them fun puzzles. <laughs> exactly. This is the national picture, um, and what you see here is that yes, you know, we started seeing, and I've been reporting, you started seeing that slow build up from June, July, August, uh, where you have that surge, and then as you saw the crunch, right. Look at that. Let's talk about um, that drop there. Tell me about the trend in terms of, you know, it, it peaked in August, it started going down. February's scary, but yes, February though is still going on. Tell me a little bit more.
1: Yes, so we have been looking at February, and February is a little bit down, but it's mostly in line with historical February's for the halfway point through the month. Uh, it's, it's just too tight a window to really look at from a broad scale perspective. You have to get the whole month before you can make any definitive claims.
0: Exactly. And what's interesting here is when you're looking at the TEUs, um, for those that may not um understand like the like the life cycle, if you will, of a container, the data that is aggregated here um through import genius, you know, between the bills of lading, census and other ways, these are containers that are at the port. They're literally been processed. So these do not represent the 30-plus uh, ships that are, say, out at the port of Los Angeles waiting to come in or, you know, ships that are lined up on the East Coast. Um, as I said before, I do like to abuse William when I can, um, always demanding more and more data. And uh, the next chart, which I totally love, is really going down to ground zero of the container congestion. And where else? Long Beach and, uh, and uh, L.A., so um, as you see with this chart, you know, again, we go back to 2018 where you see the uh, tariff front loading. Um, but then here is the drop. William, tell us what you see and what you saw when you were uh, going through the data.
1: So what I love about this chart is that the same trends that you saw in the all U.S. ports data are visible, but they're they're amplified. And just by looking specifically at these two key U.S. ports, you can sense you know, exactly how much Amazon relies on them to handle their, their import volume from China. So actually, that's part of why you see the 2020 spike so much higher than the 2018 was, I mean, in terms of average shipping volume, not the not the front loading, because a lot of this surge that we're seeing now is coming in sort of backed up orders from China. And so Amazon trying to get those in is trying to get those in through these ports, which are critical to its supply chain.
0: Exactly. And they're clogged and that clock shows oh, you right completely. there look at that 17% tell us more
1: okay yes so as we know the uh, the congestion began to really hit late fall however it wasn't clear exactly how much of a problem it was going to be until it began unfolding and so that that start that steep drop there when you know compared to previous years and given what we know about you know, retail demand it should be skyrocketing is all the more stark
0: exactly it really just shows you that like Containers don't lie, folks. This is the story of the congestion, and and you're seeing the backlog. And the backlog is in TEUs, the amount of hands that cover trade. They're in the millions. It it's not just the longshoremen. It's not just uh, the folks that put the you know the the containers on and off. It's the truckers. It's the railway. It's the manufacturers. uh, It's the retailers. There are so many different things. And so if you have a backlog that trickle-down effect eventually reaches our shelves, or in many cases, um, it doesn't uh, reach the shelf. Now, what's interesting with Amazon, as we all know, is that it really is a classic example of how they're trying to control and manage every facet of their supply chain. And that is uh, why they have Joyo, uh, the Beijing Century Joyo, uh, which is their NVOCC. This, I believe, and William, you can back me up on this or tell me I'm wrong, but this is where the third-party sellers come in. Uh, What exactly are you seeing? And look at that drop-off.
1: So we've done a lot in the background to look into who Beijing Century Joya was doing business with, and very often the consignee for these shipments is going to be a U.S.-based freight forwarder, but that's that's only maybe 20%. About 80% of them, uh, the consignee is listed as Amazon Logistics. So as a freight forwarder would do, they're, they're covering both sides. You can't see the shipper. You can't see the buyer. And yes, it is very likely that these are third party shipments, but I mean, that's sort of the magic of freight forwarding is that it is uh, a layer of, uh, of obfuscation, which obviously is very frustrating for people like me, (laughs) Uh, but what we see here in this chart is truly staggering. I mean they didn't really begin ramping up their operations until 2019. And so you can see that it was beginning and then you can see the the pandemic hit and then you can see them really getting on their feet, really building up some steam. And then they just run smack into this congestion issue, which um, that's a 42% drop between August of 2020 and January 2021. That's very substantial.
0: Yeah, it's insane. And from what I've heard from some of my retailers that help source the third-party resell- uh, resellers that are on Amazon, um, they need inventory. And when you look at that chart, that shows you right there why they need inventory. Their stuff's not coming in. I mean, that is, that is a dramatic, dramatic drop. Um, you know, when you look at um, diversification, um, every retailer has numerous ports. They're not just beholden to one. If they were, that's, you know, that's an insanity. Uh, type of way to run a business. When you're looking at the uh, Port of Baltimore, they're actually a great play for e-commerce. Amazon has uh, four distribution centers there. Uh, They're increasing in the presence. Uh, We have a chart here showing the Port of Baltimore to show you in terms of how the flow of trade, it's a very agnostic uh, breathing entity, if you will. And it's going to flow based on where there is um, availability to flow. And the pot of Port of Baltimore is one of those locations. and in fact, they have seen 11 new vessels come into their port since July and, uh, and a lot of those a uh, lot of those uh, vessels contain uh, containers that have Amazon product. Why don't you tell us a little bit of what you see in the uh, Port of Baltimore chart?
1: Well I mean it's pretty striking. it almost speaks for itself. If you look at that, you can see how there is just uh, the first the first line there, I believe, is, is 50 TEUs. If you if you watch it, you can see that there was just sort of a, a steady trickle, like very small amounts of, of uh, shipments were coming in occasionally as needed. And then as soon as it became clear to Amazon that they needed to begin ramping up the distribution, and finding other ways to get around major congested ports, you can see it's an it, it, absolute explosion of activity. And I expect to see something very similar to this over the course of 2021.
0: Exactly, and you know it's been it's been one heck of a year for logistics managers um, all the way around. Now, uh, I've we've got a fun graphic here that I wanted to show in terms of getting into your crazy mind, William George. Um, let's uh, we've got this great word cloud. A- explain to us the insanity that we're seeing with all these words, and and why does it mean to you versus more to you than to me?
1: Okay, so the way we did this as. As anybody who's worked with large amounts of data knows, the vast majority of the work has to go into making sure that the data that you're using as your source can paint an accurate picture of the trends or the phenomenon you're trying to understand. And so we do many levels of of checking and cleanup on our data, but there there are various sort of sanity checks we do, and this is one of them. So we generated this word cloud where based on the product description and the TUs, the more TUs we found associated with the product description, the more, uh, the larger the the word was. And so we saw fresh mangoes here. Uh, It should be highlighted in red. And that was confusing because, I mean, sure, Whole Foods exists, but we weren't seeing any other produce. And it turns out that there's a company called Amazon Produce Network that is totally unaffiliated with Amazon, but is actually the U.S.'s largest importer of fresh mangoes. And so we deleted over 12,000 TUs of fresh mango-related shipments from this data uh, before we presented it to you here.
0: Let's turn to Walmart, another big retail winner for the pandemic. Uh, when you're looking at the TEUs, they are an absolute giant. Um, looking at all U.S. ports, uh, the import volume from uh, from 2018 to present really tells a, a an interesting story. Also, of course, the tariff story. Um, William, tell us uh, what we're seeing past and present.
1: So, Walmart's 2019 August spike is just. Really unbelievable when visualized this way. I mean, it's basically off the charts. It, if we were trying to make an actual uh, analysis of what Walmart was up to month by month, it would have to be considered an outlier. Like you'd have to you'd have to get that out of there and then normalize it over the coming months. But the thing is, it's it's very clearly related to the tariffs because on the first of August, 2019, President Trump uh, announced that there would be an additional 10% tariff imposed on 300 billion worth of consumer goods, including you know toys clothes, footwear, which had previously not been targeted. And so naturally, now that finished consumer goods were squarely in the crosshairs, Walmart had to scramble.
0: Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing to see. And and also when you see the natural drop off, it's also just showing you that, you know, they got a lot of their product in, so they didn't need to bring in as much of uh, the tariffed TEUs, uh, if you will. But when you're also looking at what's going on here and, you know, from 2020 with COVID, Um, You kind of see that mirror image. Uh, They did get some extra product in in April. Remember, folks, Walmart was open the entire time during COVID. It's not like there were some retailers that were that were shuttered um, like a TJ Maxx. Um, You know, these were essential uh, businesses. So they had to keep uh, they had to keep uh, flowing. So, you know, what I find interesting here is that, you know, you do see that normal progression, if you will, of uh, buying product for the holidays, as well as, of course, essential items. Uh, normally, as you know, uh, the uh, the orders for the holidays come in over the summertime, so July and August, uh, where we see that little pop. October, we see a, a decent size volume pop, and then you see the drop and then coming back up. What what did you see in terms of trends, William, as it relates to the COVID effect on the TEUs?
1: Well, it looks to me like Walmart is handling both COVID and the congestion much much more smoothly than Amazon is, and I think this has to do with just the depth of expertise that Walmart has in their supply chain. I mean, they have you know so many years worth of experience. It's a very you know mature supply chain, and they also, according to you know their official company statistics, have roughly 50 more distribution warehouses at a little over 150 than Amazon does at around 100. So all of these things let you diversify, and they let you shift when you find pressure in certain points. You can you can ease the load.
0: It's amazing because when it comes to times of crisis, it's the strategies and the how and why they are employed that determine success or failure. And I think when it comes to uh, COVID-19 and logistics and all things logistics, um, diversification is key, very good management, very good communication, and trying to control what you can and realizing there are certain things that you cannot, of course, uh, control. Um, moving and drilling down into Long Beach and, and L.A., compared to um, Amazon, you hit it right on the head. Look at the impact or the lack thereof, if you will, um, of, of COVID and the congestion.
1: It's, it's a much smoother shape. It's just, especially in terms of absolute TUs, I mean, yes, they're impacted, but you don't see the same you know, explosive shifts in, in volume that you do with Amazon.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it really is amazing. And, and, and like I say, you know, the containers tell the story. And, you know, this is an agnostic, no winner, uh, choose, you know, type of uh, industry, if you will. And um, when I looked at this, it, it, to me, it was really interesting for us to bring forward today to show the audience in terms of good logistics management, telling the story of the container, showing the gravity, the impact, if you will, um of the container congestion um william i am so grateful uh that i can call on you literally at all hours of the day waking you up um and <laughs> for you to and for you to continue to accept my phone calls <laughs> because folks oh, yes. if you know if you knew half of the requests that i bring forward to him and import genius um you would probably be running for the hills if you if you were him uh, William, uh, how, uh, how can folks that are participating today watching uh, try to reach out if they would like to do so?
1: So you can reach me at William at Import Genius, and I'm, I'm pretty responsive. Uh, we're always happy to, to discuss research requests, and we will do, um, as, as Gloria knows well, if you're part of the media, we will take on any project that we are capable of accomplishing. And even if we don't have the necessary resources, we will either find them or point you in the right direction. It's a, it's a confusing world out there in, in shipping data. It's, uh, it's just so fragmented. And so what we're trying to do is just fully understand sort of what is available and, you know, how to get you using it.
0: You know, this is news you can use. And, uh, and this is why uh, Freightways has Global Supply, uh, supply Chain Week. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, have a wonderful day, everybody.